Hello, and thanks again for tuning in. Welcome to the Voice of the Black Folk podcast. I'm your host, Will Anyu. You know, growing up, math was never really my strong suit. In fact, at one point, I convinced myself that, you know, this really isn't my thing, and subsequently, why haven't tried? Unfortunately, this story is not mine or mine alone. There are so many young people who struggle with the basic fundamentals of math, but there's hope. Let's take a step into Ms. Jasmine Williams' classroom and learn from a future trailblazer within the educational field. So, my friends, sit back, tune in, and listen, because this is the Voices of Black Folk podcast. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Voices of Black Folk. Today we have a phenomenal um, Black sister, Black woman educator who's not only traversing the educational path in the classroom, but also outside the classroom. So without any further ado, we have Miss um, Jasmine Williams. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. Um, so thank you, Will, for that. Uh, my name is Jasmine. Um, I am the owner um, of Mobile Math Tutoring, um, but I'm also a Baltimore City Schools um, middle school math teacher. Mm. Uh, I have been teaching for the past seven years. Um, I came to Baltimore right out of undergrad um, at North Carolina Central um, to do Teach for America. So mm. I was a 2014 core member. Um, and I came one because I grad school, um, there was amazing opportunity to do grad school at Hopkins, but also to um, Baltimore was an ideal city um, that I thought would be great, especially because I wanted to go into urban ed. Um, I, after the first year or no, after the first round, so um, in the core, I stayed there for my, throughout my duration of my commitment, which was two years. Um, and then after that, I stayed at my placement school. Um, and then in more recent, um, I had moved to a turnaround school in Baltimore, um, in West Baltimore to be exact. Um, at that time, this was probably 2016, um, the school performed the second lowest in the state of Maryland. Um, so you can only imagine there was only one school they did better than um, that year. And I decided to leave my placement school um, in a quest to go and work at this turnaround school. Mm -hmm. um, because what I ultimately believed is that I had saw a lot of success at the school I was at, but we know sometimes certain schools present different challenges, especially in urban ed. Um, and I felt like, well, if you're really as good as you think you are, you can go anywhere and teach Absolutely. and you be able to get those same results. Mm -hmm. And so that was the mindset. In addition to the fact that I wanted to be a principal in an urban school district and mm. what better way to really get your experience versus to go to a turnaround school. Mm -hmm. um, because to me, again, if you can make it at a turnaround school, whether it be a teacher or in leadership, you can make it anywhere. And so mm. um, that's just been my like um, journey. I'm still in Baltimore now, um, kind of doing Baltimore and in California. Um, mm -hmm. The bi-coastal thing, COVID has allowed for a lot of flexibility. Um, so I'm really grateful about that. Fantastic. So before we get into mobile math, I want to hear about, I want to learn about Jasmine as a person. Mm -hmm. So where, where did your passion for education come from? Um, so that's interesting um, mm -hmm. that you asked that. Um, so when I was in high school, I, went, I grew up in Charlotte, um, mm -hmm. North Carolina. And back then when you were trying to get out of high school, you had to do something called a senior exit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a senior exit is pretty much a um, a senior exit is pretty much like um, a like research project almost, so to mm-hmm. speak, where you would have to. Um, okay, so pretty much a senior exit is more like a research project um, mm-hmm. where you kind of like go through, do your research, do your findings, write a paper, and then you actually have to present before mm-hmm. like a board. Um, and the board could be like an advisor, your English teacher, um, maybe an administrator, and every senior had to do that. Well, I was in AP English. It starts in 11th grade, like you start working on it and mm-hmm. then finishing your senior year. Um, so my 11th grade English teacher, um, I remember she was like, have you found your topic yet? And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I have not. Um, I kind of really was like reluctant about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I think you should do No Child Left Behind. Mm. She gave me the topic and I was like, okay, fine. That's the topic I'm going to do. And I began doing the research on that policy. And I was just so mind blown. Like, I was like, wow, this is interesting that they had created this policy and it sounds so good. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there's so many factors Mm -hmm. that even if you're not a teacher, but you're a student in a classroom, you see that makes this unrealistic to actually Mm -hmm. achieve, i.e., like students or parents who could be apathetic, students with learning disabilities, um, social promote. There was just so many different things um, that I was wondering. I was like, I wonder how they thought about. So it really started to like pique my interest and I was getting excited about it now. Mm. And so um, I was doing more research. I was asking a lot of questions to administrators just about the policy. And then before you know it, like I wrote this amazing paper um, and I, it did like really, really well. Like when I presented it before the board, that was enough confidence for me to say, one, I'm interested in education. Mm-hmm. Two, I really want to pursue this. Um, and three, like I was excited about it. And that mattered to me, like mm-hmm. doing something that you were excited about. Fast forward. When I went to um, undergrad, I majored in history. And the idea here was, I was like, oh, well, people say if you want to go to like law school, you can major in like history and then go to law school or you mm-hmm. could do like poli sci. But they said that history was a better track because it would like prepare you with the writing piece. So That's I was amazing. like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be a teacher or like a principal. I don't know about all of that, but I do think that I definitely can argue for some ed policy. Mm-hmm. So I was, that was my route. I was trying to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was the summer, my sophomore year, um, I got an internship at a nonprofit in Durham, North mm-hmm. Carolina called Student U. Um, mm-hmm. and Student U was like a middle school um, access, like college access program where they get students in like middle school and they follow them and create a pipeline all the way into like they go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was created by a group of Duke students. Um, yeah. And so I started working there. And I remember when I was in the interview with the founder of the organization at the time, he worked there, but um, he was the founder and he said, um, I told him, I was like, well, I'm in between the Congressional Black Caucus and this. And he was like, honestly, I think you should try this. And by trying this, I mean, the worst thing you could say is you don't like teaching, but you really don't know until you actually get in there and try it. Um, like, you know, the law and like the courtroom, it'll always be there. And mm-hmm. I mean, when he said that, I really feel like that's true too for teaching, but he was so intriguing and knew how to sell it that mm-hmm. I was like, all right, fine, sign me up again. I did it. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Similar to writing the paper. Mm -hmm. And so that then opened up the door to say, Mm -hmm. hmm, 
maybe this is the thing. So I kept working at Student U every year um, when I was in college and all the people that were working there were teachers. Some of them were TFA teachers, mm-hmm. um, hence the how I got to TFA. And one of my direct supervisors was in TFA Eastern North Carolina. And she had someone come from the office to do a big presentation for us at Student U. And I was sat in the meeting and I was already sold. I was like, Mm. I'm doing that. And the reason why I said I was doing that is because to change my track in college would have made me have to stay another year to do like maybe comprehensive social studies education. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, there's another way. I'm graduating in four years. I have to go and I know a way to do it. And yeah, it just worked out like that. Absolutely. And that's fascinating. So there there are a couple of things that you hit on that I just want to get more clarification on. So number one, for um, those of our viewers that the, who aren't um, really um, aware, nor do they understand what the no, no Child Left Behind policy was, can you just give like a brief cliff note version of what that was? So it said that like students had to perform um, at or above grade level by mm-hmm. what they would call adequate yearly progress, which is AYP. It's pretty mm-hmm. much a test. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to take a test and perform at this mark by a certain timeline. Mm. Um, And the issue with that is, I mean, you can hear it at or above grade level. Mm. I mean, if you're in a classroom, you know, if you work in my district, (laughs) you know, that sounds crazy Mm -hmm. to say that children have to be at or above. I mean, I work in a schools and I've worked in schools where there's a sea of red Mm. and it has been for years. So to Mm. say that they have to be at or above grade level by X amount of time, I mean, yeah, that it, it just again, it sounded good in theory. Absolutely. However, the reality is there's a lot of other things that were not considered. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, so I teach a college preparatory class where um, I talk a lot. I uh, teach predicated on my research on first gen low income students, and one thing that we realized that this policy that's the population that it affected it affected low-income mm. black and brown children at a significant rate and as you mentioned in theory it was a great idea but in practice it was terrible and so that's so that's that, that's fascinating so let's let's fast forward let's let's talk through tfa so coming to baltimore what was that ex- what, what, tell us about what that first year was like for you so to be honest, I loved Baltimore. I still mm. do. Like, you know, I, I think that depending on where you were from or whatever your experience was, you know, sometimes people like transplant will come and they will have mm-hmm. all different experiences mm-hmm. being from all different places. But I ultimately believe that I loved it because I had really great mentorship mm. my first year. I had a great coach um, who actually wound up becoming like a really close friend of mine. Um, I'm actually in her wedding. She was my coach um, my first year, I know. (laughs) And um, I had a great principal um, who really just believed in me and let me do anything that came to mind that I wanted, Mm. like, you know, in terms of like helping me to develop myself and figure out just different outlets and avenues to becoming Mm -hmm. a better teacher and a better, like, ultimately a school leader. Um, I really had a great experience. I taught first grade my first year, first grade math and science. Um, Mm -hmm. The other piece to that was my class sizes 
Um, I mean, they were, they were relative. They were like 26. I had two sections of first graders, 26 kids. And I had a really great partner teacher and we like really gelled. And that matters in the teaching world because it's a lot of collaboration you have to do. Um, and like I said, I think my first year just as a teacher was not like most people's first years because mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of support um, because of the mentorship. It was hard first year because of the teaching, mm -hmm. but sometimes what could be hard may not seem as hard mm -hmm. when you have um, a safety net around you that mm -hmm. wants to see you win. Mm -hmm. Then the struggle is not as hard. And also you don't feel alone. Um, so, yeah, so my first year in Baltimore, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed like living away. Like I've done this, uh, even when I was in college, I left for a particular period of time and went to St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like that experience going to UVI for a short period of time prepared me to be able to go on my own as an adult to mm -hmm. a whole other city where I don't have family. So mm -hmm. I realized that about myself too, that I was able to survive. Like, even when you don't have anyone else around you, you learn mm -hmm. to lean on your networks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, so how many years was it between teaching and um, starting um, um, mobile math? Or did you, or was this already an idea that you had? Or t talk, talk us a little bit through what that process was like. Okay, so let's start here. I never envisioned that I would be teaching math, let alone starting a math tutoring company. Hence, mm. I went to um, school for history. Like <laughs> I wanted to do a policy, something of that line, mm -hmm. or maybe be a social studies teacher. Mm -hmm. The reality is um, in urban education in Baltimore, um, you're not going to have a social studies teacher in an elementary school, just a standalone. Mm -hmm. not that's not normal mm -hmm. um the other uh, funny thing is when you get there it's really about the need mm. and you know what they had a need for the need was for math mm. so if you want a job then you take the position and you learn to teach math mm. that was the name of the game so um funny story at my like um i guess it was a hiring fair the principal that i told you about she mm -hmm. uh, was sitting there with her um, math lead. And I remember coming to the table and I was like, hi, I'm looking for a social studies position, you know, real young, fresh out of school, trying to get a job. And she was like, we don't have that. Here's what we have. We got first grade math teacher position. Do you want to take it or not? And I was like, uh, I don't really know. She's like, here's what I'll tell you you can do. You can go ahead and shop around and look at these other schools. This will be sitting right here. If you decide you want to take it, you can take it. Mm. Now, we have been trained that whoever give you the first offer, you have to take it because mm. you stop. So I kind of walked away and I was like, not really to shop around, but to say, man, I do not want to teach math, even though it's first grade. I just don't want to teach math. And, but the reality is I needed to work. So absolutely, said, okay, I'll do it. And in doing that, that opened the door to teaching math. Mm. So I wound up doing first grade. And then at the second year, she switched me and I went to fifth, sixth. And then we had a budget collapse mm. um, this year, which is typical, especially in urban schools, um, come October. And they were like, psych, you're not going to teach fifth grade math. You're going to teach sixth grade everything. And that included sixth grade math. 
Mm. Um, and then when I left and went to the turnaround school, the same exact thing happened to me. I was like, all right, so I only want to teach first or second grade math, like what I used to do. He's like, oh, well, we don't have a, any position for that. We don't have middle school math and we don't have any middle school math teachers because it was a small school. So if you take this job, you'll be the only middle school math teacher. Wow. For sixth, seventh, and eighth. Wow. And how many students is there in total, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so it was a small school because it was turnaround, so people were leaving. Okay. So in a class, in my And explain that concept. What is turnaround? I'm not familiar with that. So, okay, so the we'll start first question you said how many kids were in a class mm -hmm. um, in my first year seventh and eighth grade was one section so that means there's only one seventh grade group and one eighth grade group okay. because it's in Baltimore they're k to eight so kindergarten through eighth grade school okay and so with that being said um you may have a class of of 35 seventh graders wow. and you have a class of like 40 eighth graders and that was wow. free like 40 kids in the class 40 big um yeah but we i mean that's how the budget was set up we didn't have mm. enough money our first year to have two teachers mm -hmm. now you ask me what turnaround was turnaround schools are schools that according to the state are failing schools based on certain parameters mm. attendance surveys testing data and if the state deems you to be failing you go into what they call a turnaround like status or state. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you actually have to work. You have like, well, for us, it was like a three year. And then we had a three year turnaround and then another timeline. I think it was like four years because mm -hmm. it's two different entities. Mm -hmm. You have like the MSDE um, and then you have like literally like the state. like, And so there's two people at play here that you need to meet their standards. Mm -hmm. So um what happened was they said you have X amount of time to produce us X amount of results or most of the time the school closes. Mm. Wow. And then what winds up happening is the school, the kids go to disperse them and they go to different schools. And that's mm. no longer exists. <laughs> and so before we hop into mobile math, I'm just, I'm fascinated from your perspective because I can just imagine working mm. with that population and seeing the disadvantages that so many of those students have and yeah. like especially and i'm sure many of those students are black and brown students so you can identify with them not only on a um on a personal level but mm -hmm. on a cultural level and so like if you don't mind sharing like i would love to know what your mental state was like during that time mm -hmm. like working with these students understanding this ideology of turnaround understand that a lot of these students might not have a second place to go after this well, they will always have a second place to go. I think the bigger issue is you only go to seventh grade once. Mm. So if you give them a poor uh, experience in seventh grade, uh, and then you give them a poor eighth grade experience, they don't get a do-over. Mm. So once once the experience is poor, she's poor. Mm. And that impacts them because, again, you never go to seventh grade again. So from a math perspective, if you never go to seventh grade again, that means you never were equipped with the skills needed to tackle algebra, which mm. means that you are never prepared for algebra two, which means you also are never prepared for advanced math like pre-cal and calc because you only went to seventh grade once and you had a poor experience in seventh grade or in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the way we look at stuff like that. 
So, but that can be true in any school. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger thing is my mental health state to answer your question was, it was crazy. It was a lot of trauma. Like there was mm. a lot of trauma happening because you got to think like, I mean, West Baltimore is like one of the, um, like it is a very poor community, like in Baltimore. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. It's and you got to also understand too, like this, I mean, it's just a lot of the politics. It's the state. You got to mm-hmm. meet their criteria. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. families. There are mindsets, rightfully so, given of the trauma they have experienced. And then you as a teacher come in. And then you are exposed to all that. And now you have your own trauma. Mm. And I think the bigger thing there is like, it just, it was hard. Like that was when it got hard. Not mm. my first year of teaching. See, that's why I always say, like, when I went there, it was like, I said that, well, if you can go teach there, you can teach anywhere. And it sounded good when I first, when I started before I even stepped in it. But when I got in it, I was like, oh, this is a lot. I see why. (laughs) Hold on, this is a whole nother piece. And also, you got to remember, I was under a lot of pressure because I was the only middle school math teacher. So Mm. that means that the results rested on my shoulders and my shoulders alone you could not share the fault with any other teacher Mm. and math mattered because the metrics we were using to figure out if we were like making our mark like closer towards getting out of turnaround status Mm -hmm. status was in our test scores from reading in math wow so that was another stressor, stress. It was like the pressure, the pressure, the pressure, like to come in every day to be like, y'all gotta perform. Like y'all have to perform. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that serious for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's not teaching. But that's the kind of stress that exists when you go in them high stakes, like settings. And, and it's weird. Cause you're like, well, dang, don't they want to make the school better? Well, why would they put all that pressure and think that that's gonna make people mm-hmm. produce? Great question. I don't know. Mm. because to me that kills what learning is supposed to be it kills the love for it kills the joy mm-hmm. it makes kids feel it's too high stakes I can't make a mistake. you know because when it's that tense sometimes you can't make a mistake you you're trying to like you don't really know you don't want to take a risk it's mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. and almost so to speak you got to get a little radical with this thing if you if you want to do what's best for kids Mm-hmm. which might mean when I say radical you might not be doing always what's best for whatever they say is best mm-hmm. um because you got to make sure they're good and mm-hmm. so you also face those battles because doing what's best for kids uh, seems great and we talk about this a lot educators all the time but sometimes on paper or sometimes when people walk in your room they may not understand or see that and yeah. that might not be received Mm. and then it's like well in their minds are you doing what's best for kids Mm. so it was just a lot of that and I say that's all the politics um that also like exists Mm -hmm. so yeah wow it was an it was an intense experience sheesh buddy yeah Yeah, that sounds that definitely sounds intense and so go ahead good news Mm because you know we always gotta bring us on the up and up so some Mm -hmm. good news first year the kids did perform and they performed the highest out of all the other demographics that were in Maryland that were in turnaround status. Wow. Seventh and eighth graders that I had. So that was the first thing that was a good. 
second thing, um, in our second year, we interviewed for ingenuity program. And the mm -hmm. ingenuity program is like advanced academics for science and math. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually like the um, most, they have like a, like a 90, I think it's like a 99, maybe 99. I don't know. I can't, I can't keep up with the numbers, but um, acceptance rate into college. So it's a oh, very wow. competitive program. Now this program for years had only been in three schools. And of course those schools and where they were positioned were not like the school that I was at, not That's in that true. area. Mm -hmm. So that was like a very, um, a like unprecedented thing that happened by us receiving ingenuity. And we mm. were able to receive ingenuity because our students that we had were able to go in those interviews and really represent us to the people who were deciding about ingenuity. And we actually got it out of several middle schools that were applying for ingenuity in Baltimore. And again, mm. remember, we were a turnaround school. So I was there in year one of turnaround, two and three. Year three, ingenuity was in our building in full effect. So wow. I mean, there's a lot that happened and there's a lot like, of, you know, trauma and stress and everything else mm -hmm. trying to get the work done. But there were a lot of great things that came out of that. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And so, and so I'm hearing the story and I'm trying to like piecemeal in, in, my, in my mind, but I guess I'll just let you tell the story. But how did, how, <laughs> how did mobile math come about? So with mobile math, after I, um, I was always like teaching the middle school math when I got to the turnaround school, but then I started tutoring um, and I was tutoring families and it was just some little thing that I was doing. I didn't want to work at like the mall as a part-time job or anywhere else and tutoring just seemed like it worked. It was lucrative and I already teach the math. So you just go and do the same thing you did <laughs> during the school day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was doing it. And I was getting really good and I was getting a lot of clientele and I wasn't promoting. It was mm. just word like I started with one family and they told a family in their class and they told a family and they told a family. And before you know it, this was before COVID. So I was going in person. Mm. I was at a place where I'm like, I'm, I'm at capacity. I can't, yeah. I can't take any more people. I probably need to start a company. I sat on that though. For mm. I mm. just kept saying it, but I ain't doing it. And then I was like, I think it was 2019 December. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I think what really pushed me to do it was because I was in the admin one program and my professor, part of that program I'm in, part of the development and training is understanding you as a leader. Like mm -hmm. they do a lot of that kind of work. Like you need to know yourself, know your mm -hmm. strengths, know mm -hmm. what kind of conditions you work under, know how you show up when you are managing people. And through that like self-reflection, I realized like I don't really like the school setting structure. Mm. I like education, but I don't like the school setting structure. And that creating a tutor company would provide some of those same things that I love, like working with kids and teaching them and developing and supporting teachers and mm -hmm. managing a whole like entity, but it just wouldn't be in the school system. Mm. So with that being said, I was like, maybe I'm going to pivot. I'm going to finish the program, but I'm going to pivot and I'm going to start this company. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was 2019 December, actually December 31st, 2019. I literally started the um, organization. And so then what like surprisingly happened was COVID. Mm. Like, yeah, I, was, I definitely want to know how COVID affected this. 
so COVID came and COVID was our biggest blessing. It was mm. something I didn't even see. So mind you, our model was in-person tutoring, mm -hmm. meaning you can't see as many people driving around in people's houses. Absolutely. And that, that's been the model for a lot of private tutoring companies. Mm -hmm. But what I also realized was that was becoming outdated. And when Zoom launch and Google Meets and all of this stuff and just being virtual like became the thing, like forcibly, it also forcibly made us shift our model. And it mm. was for better because what happened was now I'm able to see double the clients I was able to see when I was like in person. Now I'm able to touch students I would have never been able to reach like Las Vegas, the Bay Area, Houston, Charlotte. Oh. Raleigh Durham, you know what I'm saying? These are where our clients are. Mm. And so that was like the biggest breakthrough for us. And I love it here. And I'm probably never going back to that because that model is not it. It's like, that's outdated. Agreed. And that's what I appreciate about COVID. COVID made it where education had to step it up. Like we were so outdated in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. we did. And mm -hmm. it was like, listen, you either go forcibly step it up or you're going to get left behind. Absolutely. I, and I, and I think that's so fascinating. Cause like, even with this podcast, right? Like mm -hmm. originally when I began it, like the idea behind it was, Oh, you know, there are a lot of great people in the Philly area that can have conversations with. And I thought about, it, I'm like, why am I just restricting myself just to Philly? Why not? Like, why not have conversations with somebody in Atlanta? Why not have a conversation with somebody in Singapore? Right. And so it's one of those things that has just allowed you a greater space of people to speak to. So mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, as an educator, you know, when you think about, you know, where your business is right now, what, what would you say is some is one, one of the most challenging things about it and two, one of the most gratifying things about it? So the most gratifying thing about it is that, um, it's happening. Like we, we are growing, like mm. growing in clientele, but also growing in capacity. Mm. And that's a big deal for me because I'm all about sustainability. Like that's, that's a major focus for me, not just creating a business, but creating a business that can be replicated in multiple places. Mm -hmm. um, that is really division. So mm -hmm. it is mobile math indeed for Maryland, but it can be mobile math Bay area. It can be mobile math Charlotte. It can be mobile math Houston or mobile math DC. And that's how mm -hmm. I want to see it. Um, and to me, just being able to bring on and hire these tutors, um, we just recently like um, did a, we recruited some new talent and we brought on um, to allow us to expand our reach. So we only used to offer services for kindergarten through eighth, but now we're into the high school. So we're dealing wow. with one algebra two geometry. We're going to be moving into test prep. Um, and all of those things. And to me, that is what I envision is like expanding your reach and also expanding your territory. And we are literally doing that. Like mm. the, the fact that, like I said, I was in California for like six months during COVID, but still operating this business that warmed my heart, like mm. the sustainability, the systems are there, you know what I'm saying? To be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I am grateful because it's mine. I've mm -hmm. worked so hard to build other people's systems, like in schools, giving them my, my best talent, my best ideas, mm -hmm. 
what we mm-hmm. say, my intellectual property. I was exactly. free. Exactly. And now I get to take all of that and give it to me. And that is like the thing that's making me happy. That's beautiful. So, and it's so crazy. Like when you think about your journey too, like, you know, going into school, thinking that you want to do the law school route, like getting yeah. introduced uh, to um, this organization, learning about TFA, learning about like the nitty gritty of like what's really going on in some of our poorest areas. And then instead of following the traditional path, like All right, I'm just going to stay in these schools and keep working. It's like, no, there has to be a better way. And now not only you, not only are you touching students within your geographic area, but you're touching to like your reach is almost infinite. Uh, like yes. that's, that's yes. fascinating. Yes. That is, that is truly fascinating. Right. Well, like, you got it right. And mm. I think the challenge, but it's not really a challenge. It is a challenge. The challenge is when you are the owner of a company, you're also the marketing director. Absolutely. You're also the hiring manager. You're also HR right now. And because I'm all those things and I'm also a full-time teacher. Mm. <laughs> so I, um, that is what's hard. Mm. It is doing all of these things. Now, what I've done to help me out, because I do believe in help, is I hire. <laughs> I have, I, I outsource. I get mm. like, I have a payroll, like little operating system. They do all of that. They like background checks, make sure they get all the, information, mm-hmm. tax mm-hmm. documents, make sure we're compliant. Yeah, I hire for that. I'll outsource for this or I hire for someone to help do the website and manage and update. Like I don't spend time doing that kind of stuff because what I realize is you got to work smarter, not harder. You exactly. only got 24 hours and you got to figure out what is the most important thing that you should be spending your time. Mm. And I learned that through the schools because mm. I watch principals make their highest paid like staff members, admin, APs, do like things like lunch duty mm. or hall monitoring. <laughs> There's so many other tasks at a school that needs to be done. And I'm like, why do you have your one of your highest paid salaries doing this? Mm. Surely you could have, you know, brought in some volunteers or hired like, you know, a temp or some contractors to come Mm -hmm. in and do this Mm -hmm. for a cheaper rate than using your most expensive, Mm -hmm. expensive bodies to do work that's really small. Mm. And I think, you know, you just said something that I think was so fundamentally important. A lot of us, you know, that uh, go the entrepreneurial uh, path or start our own businesses, we think that everything has to be done by us. Yes. We, we think does. that you, you, we think that, you know, I got to do, like you said, HR, mm-hmm. I got to do payroll. I got to do um, marketing. I got to do the website. It's like, no, work, work smarter, not harder. Right. Yep. And that's why a lot of businesses don't grow because if you're spending your time building a website and that's not even your forte, Right. Like you, now you wasting time that you could have been allocating that time towards something else. So, and I, I think, you know, for, for our listeners, I think that's one thing that's very important to learn. And for those of you who are starting businesses, for those of you who have businesses, it's so fundamentally. And I think, you know, oftentimes this ideology, like, well, this is my baby. I don't know. I don't want to allow anybody else to do it. Cause they might not do it the way, like, mm-hmm. That's that sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. So I guess my last question is 
where do you see what do you see mobile math uh growing the next uh five, 10, 15 years from now? Oh, good question. All right, so I have one more thing. You said mm-hmm. something really important. You were like, um, you don't have to do everything. One of the things I would say though, because people are like, okay, well, how are you doing all this? Because I know mm-hmm. that's how I would be thinking, listening mm-hmm. to all these podcasts, and they say, Oh, you don't have to do everything, but it's your business. How did you do it? I still work another job to mm-hmm. pay for this. Mm-hmm. So what I mean is my salary for teaching pays for me to hire a graphic designer or web designer mm. to design the website and do whatever I need to for updates. I use it from my real salary, like not my business money. Mm. Or I may hire someone to help me to write up a contract, like literally like tutor contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through LegalZoom to file my business. They also have like a package where you can meet unlimited times with like lawyers and accountants and talk to them. And honestly, as long as you got like a document or um, that's 10 pages or less, they'll read it for free and give you feedback. Wow. So you create a little um, contract, you send it over to them, they will review it. It costs, yeah, some money a month, but you got to mm-hmm. pay for it. So exactly. do I do? Exactly. I use my money from my mm-hmm. job to do mm-hmm. that. Now, will I do that all the time? No. But until revenue gets to where I am comfortable enough to walk away from my job and can sustain all these systems, this is what I'm doing. Mm. And sometimes you really have to do that. You got to like use your, I guess what they say, your nine to five to pay for your six to 10. Exactly. Or, you know, yeah, yeah. Like you got to, you got to figure that out. And sometimes you have to invest. Invest your money to yourself. And I noticed a lot of people like to do stuff on their own. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing here with that, and Will, you made a good point. If you don't know how to do it, don't try to backdoor it because it shows up in your brain. Absolutely. It it looks homemade. And when you're building your business that you want people to pay for and take you serious, we don't, you can't do anything. You can't do too much homemade stuff unless the homemade is your expertise mm. that's what i'll say if you not for showing up in whatever you are doing that is like homemade diy backdoor i would say definitely hire somebody wow that's real and i found out another resource um so task rabbit thumbtack like these uh, are like little i mean you see them they can come and build a shelf but mm-hmm. to be honest there's other things that you can like yeah. google for your business and hire somebody for one time Maybe you don't have an indefinite amount of money to keep paying, but you have a task that needs to get done. Mm-hmm. I believe in stuff like that. Even if other you- companies like Fiverr, like that's the company. Yeah, we use that for um, at, at Voices of Black Folk. We use that for our graphics. Like I contracted somebody that's working on our website. And because again, like like to your point, that's not my level of expertise. Not to mention, I also have a full-time job and now a baby that just came. And so like that takes right. a, a crazy, and so it's it's just one of those situations that these things can be done and there are resources out there. But like like you, you said, sometimes you got to pay to play. And especially if you really want to grow your business, you definitely have to pay to play. So yeah, like I'm, I'm excited. Like I really want to know where uh, this is going. Five, because I'm like, you know, Ashton's gonna be uh, too soon, and so I need, I, I need him to learn algebra one before you go to kindergarten. All right, I'm right. Mm-hmm. So first thing, 
we have just launched another enrichment program for Moses, mm -hmm. which is called Cooking with Mac Moses. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, today was our first day that we had our first cooking class. Congratulations. Um, so that's one of, thank you. And so that's one of um, the programs under our umbrella. And mm -hmm. the idea here is we bring math to the kitchen. So we do mm -hmm. real world math problems in the kitchen and then kids actually make the food that we are like talking about in the problem. And it's an opportunity for families to gather around the kitchen with their kids mm -hmm. and like do almost school, but it's not really school. Um, it's enrichment and it's fun. And so, and it's another way for people to see math because mm -hmm. I, I need to debunk that mindset that people don't like math, whatever negative stigmas around mm -hmm. math. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do math. I never was good at math. Yeah, we have to debunk that, mm -hmm. um, especially in our communities. We have to. So cooking with math Moses is like one of those ways in which we're doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that we're working on. Of course, we're going to have summer programming. Mm -hmm. um, so stay tuned for that. Um, we're actually in the works right now preparing um, both individualized like tutoring and then group sessions for programming. Um, and my envision is like, we're going to go larger scale to like really offer regular summer programming, but content specific. So not like, oh, we're just going to do a math program where you come. Now we'll do a math program when you come, maybe we're going to focus on um, two-step equations, like algebraic equations and like mm -hmm. get really like specific and families can elect to choose which topics they want to put their kids in. Mm -hmm. um, and this is good because this helps to be more personalized. Mm. Um, of course, we're going to continue to hire and offer tutoring services for families. Um, I just recently got engaged, so I will be moving. Congratulations. Um, thank you to the Bay Area, but I will always have my stake in Baltimore. Mm. So I can see us really expanding and really operating on two coasts. Um, cool. So that's the other thing is like, the business is already here, it's already uh, established, mm -hmm. but now we got to really build our brand out West. And mm -hmm. I believe that by building both on the East Coast and the West Coast is going to give us that anchor to start becoming like nationwide and eventually hopefully global. Wow. Um, yeah, because, you know, it always starts like that. You start on one coast and if you can really establish on another coast and now you're on two coasts. Okay, you're doing something. And so um, I'm just really excited about it. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, sky's the limit. And every time something, one of the things I realize is like, for me, how I'm thinking about it is, mm -hmm. how can I build, and what my one of my friends, we said, build seven streams of revenue. Under Talk about it. Revenue. Talk about it. Okay, so. Financial freedom. Exactly. So if I'm tutoring, that's one. I have tutors, that's two. If you are offering classes, that's three. Of course, if I'm writing books or some type of manual, which we'll probably, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to give everything away, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're starting like maybe an institute, mm -hmm. if you're teaching or coaching, mm -hmm. maybe teachers or tutors, you mm -hmm. know, in the future, those gems I'm just dropping, you know, stay tuned. Again, that's four or five. Now we just need two more. That's mm. what we want. Like, because I want to be able to have sustainability. Like when mm. I walk away from teaching, I need to be able to fully walk away and feel Absolutely. good. You know Absolutely. Absolutely. Mean? <laughs> wow, Jazz. That's, I tip my hat to you, sis. That's, that's amazing. And yeah. I, and, you know, I'll end this, I ended it with this, you know, so often, and you said something that was so fundamentally important 
I'm not good at math or I don't do math. This is a idea that has plagued our communities for so long. Yes. And when we think about, and I just think about this from, you know, you're attacking this from a K through 12 lens. And I look at this from a higher education perspective, those fundamental, and you said something that was so important. If you didn't learn algebra in seventh grade, that deters you for the rest of your educational journey. I know so many students that have that notion. Oh, well, you know, I wasn't, I'm not like, I, I like science, but I'm not really into STEM because I can't do math. And the, the first question I always go back to, well, were you ever really taught it properly? Because I was one of those students, right? I was one of those students that in algebra and trigonometry, I did not do well. And when, and you know, I fundamentally remember, I think it was seventh grade. I went and asked uh, my professor, I mean, my teacher at the time that could he stay a little bit after school, you know, to help me understand this problem set. And I vividly remember his response. He was like, I get paid from eight to five and I don't get paid after that. So you need to figure it out. Mm. And, you know, again, thankfully I've made it as far as I've made it, but there's Mm. so many students that they don't, right? Because that is the only access point they have to that. But I digress. But I say that to say, you know, I am so excited um, to learn about this. Um, but before we close, where can people find you, find your services, learn more about you? I'm sure, you know, somebody wants to invest in the business and grow it. Like where, where can they get in touch with Jasmine? Right. Now? All right. So we always are accepting investment sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing first, um, if you want to learn more about our work, you can visit our website at mobilemathmd.com. Mm. Um, and similarly, um, you can also um, find us on Instagram at MobileMathMD. Um, and if you want to reach out to us immediately, you can email us at MobileMathMD at gmail.com. So everything is MobileMathMD, whether it's .com for our website, uh, if it's just adding us some on Instagram, mm-hmm. and then if it's um, our email is at Gmail. Wow. Um, and so the MD is for Maryland. Um, so yeah. Um, another thing I think that you said that I also want to call out here is like, that is the whole why behind this thing is because, I, again, I'm sure you understood in my story, whether I talk about first grade math or middle school, mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. wanted to do math. It wasn't until someone said, no, you're going to do this because <laughs> mm. I had mm. to, it was like, do you want a job um, that I learned? And I realized like when I was forced under pressure, but it didn't matter. The point was, when I got in there, I learned that it wasn't that you couldn't do math. You had a phobia of math for so long that was developed mm. probably back in elementary and middle school from what you just said, poor instruction and mm. a lack of representation thereof. And it made you adopt a mindset around mathematics and it needed to be debunked like sooner or later. Like it needed to be addressed. Like you had to do something about mm-hmm. And part of the thing I always say to myself, you actually were good in math. You Mm -hmm. just didn't learn certain skills and it threw you off. And then from there, you just created this narrative. Mm -hmm. But had you had someone who was good and sold into you and kept reminding you how good you were, I wonder if you would have went to college and actually majored maybe in mathematics Mm -hmm. or majored in engineering and it would have changed your career trajectory. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us, when we go to school and I mean, 
we know at Central, a lot of people went far away from the sciences or math. Like they were like, oh no, we yeah, going I was one of those arts. people. Yeah, everybody was in the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. And why? I already know why. They, I never have to talk to these people ever. I already know the answer. The answer probably is because there is some phobia around the STEM world. And we Absolutely. have to address it head on. We got to talk about it and we have to deal with it because STEM is the job of today and definitely tomorrow. That mm. is where the money is. I, don't, I mean, like it's never going away. Like, because I know how to teach math, I always have ample opportunity from mm. all over the place. Mm. You know what I mean? And, mm. and that is what I mean of around we gotta like just address it. And so the reason behind the tutoring company is so that when kids do fall in that category from like what you said, being in school or, you know, just year after year of not having sound instruction, they can be redeemed, okay? Wow. That's our job. We mm. come, we build the confidence to redeem them so that as they go on, they can say, you know what? I am good. And boom, we saved another child and allowed another child to be able to say, I can go and major in STEM or I can go and work for these companies, um, these tech companies, you know, or, mm. you know, these like building computers. I mean, because think about it. That's, that's what it is. Apps, whatever. I mean, that's the world we live in. Wow. With that being said, thank you. This has been another amazing, exciting episode of Voices of Black Folk. You know, we are here with um, the, the Jasmine Williams. Oh, um, you know, AKA, no pun intended, um, uh, <laughs> mobile math uh, guru. So definitely thank you all for tuning, on to, tuning in to another great episode. Please um, subscribe and, you know, like us on Apple Podcasts and all your podcast platforms. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and really took something from it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, like, and share this episode. Our goal on this podcast is to highlight and give a voice to the Black community by bringing phenomenal individuals who are creating and charting paths toward greatness. And through your support, we can continue to change lives. Thanks again. And don't miss the next episode of the Voices of Black Folk podcast. I'm your host, Will Anyu.